Good morning. It's great to see you this morning. And uh, if you don't know who I am, my name is Chris. And uh, uh, we, my wife and I, um, were pastors here for a while. We started the church, by the way, 25 years ago in January. This church is 25 years old. Happy, happy anniversary, happy birthday. What, what is that? 20, happy anniversary. 25 years. Um, so I uh, just want to introduce you to me so you don't wonder who this random person is standing up here. And if you're visiting with us today, it's, it's uh, great to have you here. Pastor Mike is away. Uh, he is the regional youth director for Open Bible, our, our organization. So he's doing some work with uh, our regional youth down in California, doing some ministry down there as well. So, um, so I'm here. I was going to be here on the day that it snowed, but it snowed. So, <laughs> so, so he pulled me back out of, out of the bullpen and, and brought me in today. So um, how's, your, how's your relationship with Jesus? You good? How, how are you doing? How are you and, you and Jesus doing? That's, that's an important question. That's really the question. That's what this is all about. That's why, that's why we're here that's why we gather is to just develop, build, grow in our relationship with Jesus. That's what this is all about. And it's interesting when we hear that question, how am I doing with Jesus? How are you doing with Jesus? How we evaluate that. I think everybody evaluates that in a little different ways. And we, we, we think about that and we, you know, we might reflect on that and think back to other times where maybe we were a little more passionate in our relationship, or a little more, uh, you know, what, what some people would call on fire. Um, or we think about, man, have I been doing my Bible reading, and have I been praying every day, and have I been doing all of the disciplines, and that sometimes is sort of the measure of how I'm doing with Jesus. Sometimes we, we, uh, we look at our circumstances, and, and we think, well, you know, things are, things are going really well, and Things seem to be aligning, and things seem to be going how I hoped they would go, and so maybe God is blessing me right now. Maybe measure, maybe you measure your relationship with Jesus based on how things are moving in your life, the trajectory that your life is on. But you know, not everything always goes well, right? And so, if you measure your life according to how things are going and how well things are going and your relationship with Jesus is based on how well the exterior circumstances of your life are turning out, it might be a really frustrating exercise to evaluate your relationship with Jesus. My, uh, my dad, uh, who he passed away this last April, and uh, he had a saying, and I've thought about it often over the past year, he had this saying, and he would say it and then chuckle in his own um, way, but he would say, smile, things could be worse. So I smiled, and sure enough, things got worse. <laughs> Sometimes our life is like that. Sometimes that, that happens, those kind of situations, circumstances happen. And uh, it's in those times where we have to decide how we're going to respond. Actually, it's in any time. Whether we're doing really, really well, things are going beautifully, uh, things are going according to how we'd hoped, or whether things are just going sideways, beyond our ability to fix. We have to think about, in the midst of all of those times, how am I going to respond? How am I going to react in, in these circumstances? What will I take my cues from? We can either take our cues from 
earth, from this world, from maybe some of our natural instincts, or we can take our cues from heaven. And I want to talk today about taking our cues from heaven. There's a passage of scripture that has that I've, that I've thought about, that I've chewed on for the past two and a half or three years in particular. It, it's been a, a verse that has come to mind over and over and over again. I've thought about, reflected on, it has haunted me, it has inspired me, it has challenged me, it has encouraged me. And it's a, it's a passage, it's not, the, it's not the verse we're focused on in particular this morning, but it's a passage in 1 John 2, 6, it says, Whoever claims to live in Him, and Him meaning God, whoever claims to live in Him must live as Jesus did. Now think about that a second. Whoever claims to live in God must live as Jesus did. So our lives should be a reflection of the life of Jesus. And, and when it says must live as Jesus did, it's talking about as he did, you know, as when he walked the earth. So we look at his life and we say, okay, how did Jesus live? How did Jesus react? How did Jesus respond? How did Jesus love? And that's how our lives should be lived if we claim to live in him. That's a really, really encouraging, challenging verse. You look at Jesus and from the time he was just a boy, 12 years old, you find Jesus, you know, his parents, Mary and Joseph took him to Jerusalem for Passover. They, 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 they do the Passover thing. They leave Jerusalem and it says a day later they realize Jesus isn't with them. They'd forgot their son. Mary's like, Joseph, where's Jesus? Jesus, Joseph's like, what? I thought you had him. Joseph, where is the Son of God? We've lost the Son of God. So they, they, they forgot him back in Jerusalem. So they go back three days. They find Jesus. And they say, Jesus, and this is really what it says in the text. It's not exact, exact words, but it's basically these words. You, we were worried sick about you. And Jesus says, didn't you know I'd be about my father's business? So immediately we knew from the time he was a 12-year-old boy that this kid was different right? He's taking his cues from heaven. He's, he's confounding the people in the temple when they find him by his wisdom and by his knowledge and understanding. In Mark 1, you see an example of, of Jesus, and, and he had been healing people in the city, and he, it says that he'd been casting out demons, and everybody, in fact, it says that the whole city was gathered at his door, he goes out that night and he goes to a place of prayer. His disciples come and find him the next morning and they say, Jesus, where are you at? Everybody is looking for you. And he says, let's go to a different place, to a different town, because that's what I came to do. I came to preach. So all of these people are back at the door waiting their turn to be healed or for demons to be cast out. Because, and, and, you know, they were kind of the next guy in line right? They were waiting in line. Jesus goes to pray. The disciples come because there's all these expectations that Jesus is going to go back and heal those people too. But he says, no, we're not going there. I've, I've come to preach. I'm going to the next town. Jesus takes his cues from heaven. He didn't take his cues from the expectations that people had on him. In Matthew 5, he begins painting this picture of a new kind of kingdom. 
by this sermon that, that is commonly known as the Sermon on the Mount. He starts talking about the kind of people we should be. And he starts with these words, blessed are the poor in spirit. And so you knew right away when he starts speaking these words that this is going to be a different kind of kingdom. He Later he says, blessed are you when you are persecuted and, um, and we, when people insult you and they falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. And then he says, rejoice and be glad. Rejoice when you're persecuted, insulted, and people say false things against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad. In other words, he's saying, listen, you're going to live a different kind of life as a follower of me. You're going to take your cues from heaven. You're not going to take your cues from this world. That's not going to be what you want to do, but I'm telling you, you can do this. He later says in that same sermon, listen, the world and even the law tells you to take revenge an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I'm telling you, I'm going to help, want you to live a different way. Love your enemy. Love your enemy. He's in the boat in the midst of the storm. He's asleep. His disciples are panicking. They're bailing things out. They think they're going to die. They come and wake Jesus up and say, Jesus, don't you care that we're going to drown? That's what they say. And Jesus says, first of all, he calms the storm, which is cool. And then he says, why were you so afraid? Well, it seems like a dumb question, right? I mean, you can't say that Jesus asked dumb questions, but it seems like a dumb question because they thought they were going to die. But Jesus did not take his cues from earth. His response cues came from heaven. The scripture says that Jesus himself said, actually, I don't do anything unless, I, unless it's what I see the Father doing. He did nothing on his own initiative. He did things that came down from his father. I only do. And then as Jesus, after Jesus had been beaten, flogged, nailed to the cross, and stood up on that cross, and he's about to breathe his last with blood dripping from his brow, from the thorns on his brow, words of grace, come dripping from his lips when he says, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. He didn't take his response cues from earth. He took his response cues from heaven. Jesus was fully human. Fully human. We like to write these things that Jesus off did because we think, well, of course he's God. Of course he's going to act differently than that, right? But or, or we diminish them because, you know, we can't do that because Jesus, Jesus was God. But Jesus lived, emptied himself of that, of that divinity, and he lived as a human. He lived fully human on this earth, but empowered by the Spirit. Listen, the same Holy Spirit that Jesus gives to each one of us when we become followers of Christ, we have that same power of that same Spirit in us that Jesus lived with as a human on this earth, and we diminish what he did because we think, well, he was God, he can do that, I can't do that. But Jesus believes we can. And he took all of his cues from heaven. Whoever claims to live in him must live like Jesus did. That's our pattern. That's our life. Now we move forward to the early Christians those sent by Jesus and empowered by His Holy Spirit, by God Himself living in them, to spread the good news of this new kind of kingdom. 
This new kind, you know, living as agents and representatives of the kingdom of God within a worldly kingdom. And so, so these followers of Jesus are now out and they're beginning to spread this news of this new kind of life, this new kind of kingdom empowered by the Holy Spirit that is within them with Jesus as their king. And we see these stories, we see them in the book of Acts, these powerful, beautiful stories. And, and um, uh, Peter and John come to, this, come to the, the, the temple and they come to the gate beautiful. And by the, as, as they're coming to the, the gate beautiful, there's a a crippled beggar is what the scripture says. A crippled beggar there. He's brought there every day to beg as people walk into the temple at the hour of prayer. As they're walking in. Now I have to imagine that Peter and John have walked into this temple hundreds of times at this, at this particular time. I also believe that probably lots of other people who love God and followers of Jesus had walked by this blind beggar, or not blind, this, this crippled beggar many, many times. But this particular time, something happened in Peter and John, and they stop, they hear this guy begging, and they go to him and they say, uh, when, when he's asking them to give, you know, give money, they say, well, silver and gold I don't have. But what I have, I give you. In the name of Jesus, get up and walk. And this guy gets up, and he begins walking, and the scripture says he's walking and leaping, and he's praising God. Something happened in that particular time where those guys stopped. They heard him in a different way, taking their cues from heaven, and that guy gets healed. And it's because of that, then we go into the next chapter of Acts, Acts 4, where uh, the, the religious leaders and the, and the political leaders of the day are really, really threatened by what Peter and John are doing. In fact, they're saying, these guys are upsetting our whole community here with what they're doing and with, with what they're preaching. And they ask Peter and John, they throw them in jail, and they say, by what power or what name did you do this? And Peter says, well, it's by the name of Jesus we did this. And it says they saw the courage in them and realized they had been with Jesus. Listen to that verse. They saw the courage in them and realized they had been with Jesus. When we've been with Jesus, he does something in us to build courage in us to do what we otherwise couldn't do. So, they say to them, listen, don't speak or teach in Jesus' name anymore. We don't want you to speak or teach in Jesus' name anymore. And they say, well, listen, whether it's right or not to to obey God or to obey you, you judge, but we can't help but speak what we've seen and what we've heard. We're not taking our cues from you. We're taking our cues from heaven. In Acts 5, they're in jail again. (laughs) Seems like these guys are always in jail. They're in jail again. They're miraculous. The apostles, it says, are in jail. They're miraculously released from jail by an angel. It's just sort of an aside, like this is just normal. They're released from jail uh, by an angel miraculously, and they come back in front of the, the, the leaders of the day religiously, and they said, listen, we told you to stop teaching in Jesus' name. And in verse 29 of Acts 5, they say we must obey God rather than men. They're taking their cues from heaven. In Acts 6, Stephen is arrested. Stephen, one of the people that was commissioned to take care of the widows who had been neglected in the serving of food. So he's one of, essentially one of the deacons or one of the trustees, right? And so, so he's arrested. Uh, he shares the gospel beautifully after he's arrested, shares a powerful story of the gospel in Acts 6. They don't like it. They don't like what he's saying. They don't like what they're hearing. They start throwing rocks. They start stoning him 
to, to kill him, stoning him to death. And at the very end, about at his last breath, what Stephen says to them is, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Sounds a lot like Jesus on the cross. And he wasn't taking his response cues from earth. He was taking his cues from heaven. And we come to Acts 12. Peter is doing what God had called Peter to do. Uh, he's preaching the gospel. He's being faithful to the mission. He's doing what he knew to do to proclaim this good news of the kingdom, another way of living. And uh, in doing this, uh, in the story, it says that James, who was the brother of John, had just been beheaded for doing the same thing. Okay, so there's all this persecution that's going on. Peter is preaching still with this new courage that he didn't have before, but now he has the power of the Spirit of God in him. He's preaching with this courage, even though James has been beheaded for the same thing. And Peter's arrested, and he's in prison again. It says that an angel pokes him in the side, wakes him up. Peter walks out. The chains fall off. The, the gates of the prison door open. He walks through one gate, then through another gate. And then he finally realizes, am I in a dream or am I awake? I'm not sure what's going on. And the angel says, no, you're awake. Keep going. And he's miraculously set free. By the way, Acts 12, I was going to have it acted out. We're not doing it. But sometimes read Acts 12. It is hilarious. Acts 12, if you don't think the Bible is funny, just read Acts 12. It is a hilarious story. So anyway, um, some trust me. Read it through the eyes of funny, because it is funny. So, um, but it says that, that the church, Peter's arrested, put in prison. The church was earnestly praying for him, and then it miraculously, Peter is, chains fall off, and he's miraculously set free. And, we, and then we get to Acts chapter 16. And Acts chapter 16 is, uh, I, I want to read this passage, and it's, it's Paul and Silas. Paul and Silas had been also doing what God had called them to do. In each one of these cases, these are not people doing the wrong thing and suffering consequences, natural consequences of their behavior. These are people who are doing the right thing and are still going through all kinds of trouble in their life. In fact, it says that Paul and Silas were accused they were captured, they were stripped, they were beaten, they were flogged. In other words, whips taken, and they were whipped, and uh, they were just, they'd been thrashed. And then they were imprisoned. They're bound, their feet are bound in the stocks. And we pick it up in Acts 16, 25. I think we have it here. Do we have that? Yeah, great. So here's their response. So what would the response be when they're beaten, flogged, imprisoned, accused wrongly? Feet in stocks, midnight, you're hurting. The response of Paul and Silas, and about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. This is their response. They're praying and singing hymns to God. They got to be hurting, they got to be frustrated. It's possible. That the, that the appropriate response here could be, God, I've been trying to do all of the things you've asked me to do, and look at the situation you've put me into, but no, they're in prison, in stocks, beaten, bloodied, and they're praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, 
There was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open, and everyone's chains came loose. Incredible. Goes on. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. Now, here's the thing. There's no greater shame for a prison guard than for his prisoners to escape. And not only is there shame, but the penalty for letting his prisoners escape is that he would be killed by his bosses. So he didn't want to have that shame over him. So he's about ready to kill himself because he thought his prisoners had escaped. But look at verse 28. Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We're still here. It doesn't say still, but it might as well. We're all here. The, the earthquake happened. The doors are opened. The chains fall off. They're still there. And I'm thinking, why didn't you run? This is your chance. Get out of the prison. It goes on. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling. By the way, well, I, see, I get distracted sometimes. <laughs> the jailer called for lights. I mean, hey, turn on the lights. So they're, you know, they're doing their torches and fun. You know, it's not like just a light switch. This is not easy. But, but anyway, the jailer called for lights, rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. It goes on. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? What's he asking there? Now, he might be asking, how can I wind up in heaven someday? My suspicion is, how do I not keep from being killed by my bosses? Because he's going to die. The jailer's going to be killed uh, if, if the prisoners are set free. And the prisoners, the, you know, is, are all, looks like they're going to be set free. So he's asking, what must I do to be saved? The answer that Paul and Silas give, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. Now, of course, Paul and Silas understood this to mean something very different. They understood it to mean you're going to be... You're going to have spiritual new life. You're going to be saved from your sins. You're going to have eternity in, in your future in heaven. All of that is a part of what Paul and Silas understood it to be. But it wasn't just limited to that. Not only would, would he be saved spiritually, but he's actually going, they're actually going to save his life from the shame of losing his prisoners. Because look what the story says. It goes on. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. And at that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds, and immediately he and all his household were baptized. Isn't this cool? Here's a jailer who's holding these guys who have been beaten, bloodied, in stocks. They, they, they're miraculously set free. They could run. They stay there. They preach the gospel to the jailer. The jailer and his whole family gives their life to Christ they baptized the jailer and his family, and it goes on. The jailer brought them into his house, set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. What a beautiful, powerful story. Now, what we didn't read is the this, this story goes on to, to tell us that when the officials come the next day to, to come and see Paul and Silas in jail, they're back in jail. They, they could have left. They, they were in the jailer's house. They, they were baptizing the jailer. They had a meal with the jailer. And it says that when they come, they're still in prison. 
They could have left. They didn't leave. This is, a, um, this is an amazing story of grace. And why were they still in prison? Why didn't they just run? Why didn't they just go? It's to save the jailer. Because they cared about this guy. They cared about his life. Also, Paul had some negotiating to do with the uh, officials. But, uh, but they saved this guy's life. Now listen. We shared a lot of stories. The last two, one Peter in prison and he's set free. And the, second, the, 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 one, the, the last one we just read, Paul and Silas in prison and they're set free. And in both stories, God miraculously breaks the chains, opens the doors and, and sets them free. And we love this. We love these stories and we should love these stories because it shows us what God is able to do in his power to set people free. It's a beautiful thing. But I, I don't think these stories give us a pattern as much as they give us some principles. And, and I want us to understand this this morning. They, they, don't, they don't point to us a pattern like if you're ever in bondage or if you're ever struggling, here's the things you do and then you'll be miraculously set free. We, we like to find patterns, but, but there are some principles here. Jesus doesn't give us religious formulas. He's asked us to live by faith. Jesus doesn't give us religious formulas. He asks us to live by faith. Now listen, we kind of like formulas. We like it when this, we do this, this, and this, it equals this. We love that, especially in our Western world, and our Western culture, we like things to work. We like things to happen. We like, like to know if I do these things, I'm going to have this result. We love results. We're a very result-oriented people and um and 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 we want things to work and we want things to work fast i i had a couple of examples of this just this week uh where i thought i'm ridiculous uh, i have a i have a car that has a fob where you can open the door lock with the little button right i'm standing six inches away from my door and i'm pushing my little key fob it's actually the key but I'm pushing the key fob, and my key fob won't work, and I'm frustrated because I can't open my door. <laughs> so I actually had to go like this and open my door. I'm ridiculous because I just want things to work. And now we have a we, now in our home, our front door actually works on an app on our phone. We can unlock our front door with app. So now we go. <laughs> we look so silly. We go to our front door, and we stand there with our phone and wait for this thing to open. And we get frustrated when it takes more than about six seconds if we can't open the door. When we could actually just pull a key out and do it the same, the old-fashioned way, uh, which is generally much faster. We love things to work. And we love formulas. And, and, and the church has been historically, you know, we've loved to take movements and things that have happened and we put them in a box and we put a nice bow around it and we say this is the formula for how the next move of God should work. But God, when you, when you look at Scripture, when you look at the New Testament, Jesus rarely does two things the same way any time at all. He works uniquely in individual lives. And here's the thing, he, he hasn't asked us, he hasn't given us religious formulas, he's asked us to live by faith and trust in him. Our world is broken. 
The reason we often face difficulties is because we live in a broken world. The reason Peter, the reason Paul and Silas, the reason all of these apostles were in such trouble and going through such difficulty is not because they were doing things wrong or their relationship with God wasn't right or they were being unfaithful. It, in fact, they seem to be doing all of the right things. And you can be doing all of the right things and things can still go terribly wrong. It wasn't because they were doing the wrong things. It was because we live in a world that is broken. Uh, now, sometimes we do face consequences for bad decisions. That's a whole other thing. Like if you have no money and you go rack up thousands of dollars on a credit card and you're wondering why God hasn't delivered you from the financial trouble you're in, the reason is because you just made bad decisions with your finances and, and, God, and you used a strategy to get to the bad place. Now God's going to help you use a strategy to get right to a good place in your finances. So sometimes there are consequences for bad decisions. But, but sometimes things just go wrong because we live in a world that is broken. But God has the power to do the miraculous. God is able to do miraculous things to transform your situation in an instant. We see that in Scripture, that God transforms things in an instant miraculously, and God has the power to do that, and we should pray that God would transform situations for ourselves and for other people miraculously, because God still is in the miracle-working business. God can still do the miracles. So we should pray for God to do the miraculous. And here's the thing. Sometimes God does the miraculous, and sometimes He doesn't. And I don't know why. And honestly, nobody else knows why either. And if they tell you they know why he did the miraculous in this situation and didn't in this situation, they're just making it up because they don't really know. We don't know why he does miracles sometimes and he does in other times. I prayed for miracles sometimes, and he does a miracle. And I prayed for miracles in the same kind of situation, and he doesn't do the miracle. And I'm thinking... I need this formula to work, God. But what we know is God is with you. And God wants the very, very best for you. That's what I know. That God is with you, and He wants the very, very best for you. In the midst of a broken world, God walks with us. You can, have, you can have faith or you can have control, but you can't have both. And sometimes we want to try to control the situation. We want to tell God, God, this is how it has to happen. Listen, I, here's what I think about those stories, those beautiful stories. We love to look at the stories of the miraculous uh, setting free from prison. Peter and John, the church is praying. They're set free. Paul and Silas, they're praying and singing hymns of praise. They're set miraculously free. And we sometimes think those stories are about the fact that they're set free. I don't think that's what the story's primary purpose is. I think the story's primary purpose is actually what is their response in the midst of difficult circumstances, not what is the result of their response. It's what is the response in the midst of difficult circumstances because if it was actually a formula, if it was, oh, they prayed and they got set free from prison, if it was that easy of a formula, why, didn't, why did they ever wind up in prison in the first place? 
Why did they have to get beaten? Why did they have to get flogged? Why did they have to get imprisoned? If they were, if they were just faithful and that kept them out of trouble or got them out of trouble, why were they ever in the trouble in the first place? Why was James beheaded? Why do we know that Paul was most likely imprisoned most of his life and then beheaded himself? If they were faithful and if they just prayed and then God released a miraculously, if that was the formula, why was Paul ultimately beheaded? That's not a formula. God does the miraculous sometimes. You know, the first 300 years or so of, of Christian history, was people were mostly under persecution. And they were somewhere losing their life over, over and over again. We read of these saints losing their life for the sake of the gospel. And they're meeting underground because of the in, intense persecution over them. But in the midst of it, the church was flourishing. There was no formula for how do I get out of this circumstance. They were just faithful, and they trusted God. The difference between faith, this isn't in my notes, but the difference between faith and trust is faith is believing what God is able to do. Trust is believing that what God does is the right thing. And we have to be in that place of trusting that whatever the result is after we've prayed and after we've sought and after we've believed for the miracle, that God knows what He's doing, and He's there for you. And He wants the very best for you. Listen, we need to take our response cues from heaven and not from earth. We need to take our response cues from heaven and not from earth. Prayer and worship. How do we do that? Prayer and worship posture us to take our cues from heaven. Prayer and worship may not be a formula to set you free from your circumstances, but prayer and worship will certainly posture you to, to take your response to your because when we're in prayer, we're listening to the voice of God. We're remembering who He is. We're in communication with the God who we're reminded loves us and wants the very best for us. When we're in worship, we're reminded of the bigness of God. We're reminded of the majesty of God. We're reminded of the presence and the sovereignty of God. All those things help us to take our response cues from heaven. And one of the people who has inspired me in, in very recent days, to take my response cues from heaven and not from earth is my wife. I'm going to tell on her just a minute, not because she asked me to. Believe me, she didn't ask me to. But um, in December, uh, we, had, we, we were fortunate enough to be able to, we sold our house that we lived in for 25 years or so, 24 years, and we, we were able to buy a new home, and we have the privilege now and the honor of my mother, my beautiful mother, uh, who've moved in with us, into our home with us. Uh, as I mentioned, I lost my dad uh, just this last year, so now uh, mom gets to live with us in our home, and, and we're grateful for that. And that house was supposed to close on December the 31st, so we were those crazy people whose house was selling and supposed to close on the 31st, the sale, and the buy a house and close on the 31st, so we're moving through Christmas. You don't do that, but we've, we've been known to do dumb things like that. We got married on December 28th, so our poor family... Uh, had to, to go through a whole wedding preparation on, on December 28th when we got married. So tw December 28th was our 33rd uh, wedding anniversary, my wife and I. And um, so we were, we were uh, looking forward to that, and we were looking forward to moving out of our house and moving into our new home. 
And so we're, we're moving in that direction. In the meantime, in the fall, Lisa's mom, Bonnie, who was one of the, essentially a charter member of this church, been part of this church for 20-some years, um, she uh, had gotten uh, sarcoma cancer in the abdomen. She also had some dementia, and she had been on a downward decline in her health uh, through the fall and into the winter and into December. And so we got toward the end of December. We, we made it through Christmas. We got into December, and on December 27th, uh, the day before anniversary, uh, by this time Bonnie's in hospice and and she's struggling uh, for her, you know, for her. On, we knew it was her last days, struggling uh, for her life. And um, I remember I went over there that night. Lisa was staying with her mom and dad that night, and uh, the next morning would be our our anniversary. But <clears throat> I remember I went over that night and I brought my guitar and we sang some songs. We cried, we prayed, we laughed, we told stories. The next morning I woke up. I called my wife. I wished her happy anniversary. And um, I got a call a little bit later that Bonnie had gone to be with Jesus. I rushed over to the house. I got there, and about 30 minutes after Bonnie had gone to be with Jesus, Lisa got a phone call we had been waiting for um, because she had discovered a lump. And uh, so when the doctor called, the doctor said, Are you sitting down? And uh, she said, and the doctor said to my wife, uh, I'm sorry to tell, let you know that you have breast cancer, and you also have cancer uh, in your one of your lymph glands. So within about 30, 40 minutes, my wife lost her mom. I found out she had breast cancer, and that's our anniversary. Happy anniversary! The next day, we had scheduled the moving truck to come, and some of you helped us move all of our stuff out of our old house that next day to begin the transition of moving into our new house, which was supposed to happen on the 31st. But now we were also planning a funeral service, which I was conducting um, for Bonnie. We got to the 31st, and because of some circumstances, the closing of the new house, uh, of our old house, got delayed, which meant we can't move into our new house. So now all of our stuff is in our trailer, or in our, in our moving truck. And we can't get it out, because all of our... All of our clothing, except for about two or three days' worth, is in the back of the moving truck, and now we have a funeral, and we have no clothes to wear to the funeral of Lisa's mom, my mother-in-law. So we had to go buy clothes. And I remember, I remember sitting there that day when we got, oh, yeah, when we got the news that the, that the closing would be delayed and we wouldn't be able to move, and now we can't get our stuff out. I remember sitting there that day, and I was... I don't know what I was. I was frustrated or angry or I don't know. Um, you know, curious. <laughs> and I remember sitting there and I was talking to the Lord. And my response that came out of my mouth was, what the hell, God? And I'm, I'm sorry for saying that in church. I don't use that language. I don't ever say that. I'm sorry, Mom. I said that. <laughs> Don't use that language, front rows. Um, but that was just the, the heart response that came out of me. But it wasn't because I didn't believe God was at work. It wasn't because I doubted God anymore. It wasn't because I don't think God loved us. It actually was because I knew He loves us. 
It's actually because I know he has the ability to heal. It's actually because I know he can do the miraculous. And we had prayed and we had done the things. And in fact, I was looking and I thought, of all of the people who should not go through this, my wife has been faithful. She's been disciplined. She's faithful to her devotions. She's the most faithful prayer person I know. She's conscientious about her health. I thought, of all of the people that should not have to go through this, it's my wife. The formula, God, does not add up. <laughs> and, um, and I had to remember that Jesus doesn't work in formulas. He works by faith. So we live in a broken world, and sometimes we do all the right things, and things don't go right, or the way we thought they would go. But it doesn't mean Jesus has left us. It doesn't mean Jesus has abandoned us. And the person who has inspired me to take our cues from heaven in the midst of this is my wife. She's written some beautiful blogs, and all of a sudden I began to hear, not, not all of a sudden, but... I started to notice around me as she's going through these things, worship music, just worship. And she's just surrounding herself with worship. She's taking her cues from heaven. She's starting to write these beautiful blogs, and she's talking about just the struggle, but also the faith. And I was going to read one from an old one, but then she wrote one last night and messed me up. And, and <laughs> uh, I read it this morning, and I'm just going to read a little piece of it. I'm almost done, I promise. But I wanted the formula to work for her, and, and she writes, I'm reminded that strengths, she, she had just had her second chemo, and, and it's having all of the effects that chemo has. And um, she wrote, I'm reminded that strength comes from the Lord. His grace is sufficient for me. And the courage within me to do this journey comes from God. I'm comforted knowing that even Jesus prayed, Father, if you are willing, please take this cup of suffering away from me, yet I want your will to be done, not mine. So it's okay not to not be particularly thrilled about the process and to even ask Him to take this cup from me, but obviously God has a plan for this journey, and if I stand in the way, then this whole process will be for nothing. Yes, God causes all things to work together for good for those that love Him and are called according to His purposes. I don't pretend to know His purposes except that His ways are good. There are areas in my life that will be polished because of this, and I look forward to the end result. That is a person that is taking their cues from heaven. Because of a lifetime of prayer and worship, they now, in the midst of this, can take their cues from heaven. And I'm so grateful. Prayer and worship postures you for to take your cues from heaven. Another way is, is read God's Word. Study the life of Jesus. If you claim to be in God, live as Jesus did. Learn about the life of Jesus and live like Him. A third way is to, to take your cues from heaven is intentionally bless others. Listen, pain, sometimes necessarily, pain causes us to be self-focused. It just does. And one of the great ways you can... Um, start to take your cues from heaven is in the midst of your own struggle, you start to intentionally bless other people. Now that sounds like that doesn't make any sense, but it absolutely does. You look at what, what Peter did, you look at what all apostles did, you look at what Stephen did, you look at what Jesus did, you look at what Paul and Silas did in the midst of the struggle they're going through, they chose to bless others. You see, Paul and Silas were free before they were ever free. 
They were free already. They lived free in all their life. No matter what circumstances they were in, they were already free. We need to live as free people, no matter what the circumstances. And when we live as free people, we're going to be people who bless other people, no matter what circumstances are going on in our own life. Intentionally bless. One of the things that Lisa and I have decided is that in the midst of this, as we're going through it, we're going to look for ways to bless people. And fourth, wield the fruit of the Spirit. I know you don't usually use the word wield with fruit, but um, although I've seen people wield fruit in some powerful ways. Uh, when I, I just thought of this, when I drove up to Bible college for the very first day, I drove up into Bible college and people, there were a bunch of plum trees on the campus. And we got pelted with plums as we drove up as freshmen to that campus by some of the upperclassmen. They were wielding fruit there. But this is a different kind of fruit. Wield the, wield the fruit of the Spirit. How do, we, how do we take our cues from heaven? The, the way we do it, Dr. Don Bryan one time told me, a mentor of mine, a hero of mine, he said, you fight a spirit with the opposite spirit. So wield the fruit of the spirit. The fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. I missed one. Kindness? One of them. Um, so, so you fight hate. How do you fight hate? You fight hate with love. You love people. People are expressing hate. You love those people. You, you discouraged, then you rejoice. Wield the fruit of the Spirit. Wield the fruit of the Spirit. If you are dealing with anxiety or worry, there's going to be times when you are afraid, but God has not given you a spirit of fear. God has not given you a spirit of fear. So we don't operate out of fear. If you've been with Jesus, you will display His courage. That's what Peter and John did. So you, you, you're dealing with anxiety and, fear that, uh, and worry or fear. The scripture says, uh, um, uh, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, let requests be, request be made known to God, and the peace of God which passes all understanding will guard your heart and mind. You render the enemy helpless when you choose peace. And you choose peace by trusting Jesus. Dealing with anger, somebody angry at you, or you're angry, you wield the fruit of kindness. Listen, for some, I know when you're going through difficulty, when you're in pain, when you're angry, when you're frustrated, if the formula is not working, if you're trying to do all the right things, but your circumstances are tough, I know that sometimes what can happen is the temptation is to go to your dark side. You can go to... You can, you can flee or you can sin or you can go to your addiction or you can go to, to pounce or you can go to get revenge. Listen, you'll never be free if you go to that, if you take your cues from earth. But if you take your cues from heaven, no matter what the circumstances, you will live as free people. Take your cues from heaven. Could you stand with me? I want us to close with this uh, song we started the service with. It has become, my wife actually um, introduced it to me, and then I heard it here. Um, if you're this, uh, this morning, if you're in a circumstance, a situation, and you, you've been frustrated, or, or maybe, maybe you've wondered, you know, God, how come you're not coming through? God, how can the formula is not working? And maybe you've been taking your cues from earth. Maybe the way you've responded has not been uh, according to the fruit of the Spirit, or maybe it has not been in a way that 
that you know honors God, but it's been just just kind of your, your own carnal, earthly response. I just want to pray for you today. I just want to pray that God would just, by the power of His Spirit, give you the ability to take your cues not from earth, but to begin to respond intentionally taking your cues from heaven in the midst of the circumstance. So would you just bow your head with me? And if that's you, if, you need, if, if you're going through some stuff and you know, man, you, you haven't really necessarily been taking your cues from heaven, you've been sort of responding carnally, earthly, but you want to take your cues from heaven, you want to trust, you want to believe, would you raise your hand? I want to pray for you today. God, you see the hands that are going up. You know the situations and the circumstances that are going on in lives. You know the difficulty. Lord, we get it. Lisa and I get it. Um, we're in the middle of it too. And Lord, I, I wish I, I was always responding, taking my cues from heaven. But God, thank you that you give us another chance every day to take our cues from heaven. And that, Lord, I pray for each one. That, Lord, first of all, I pray for the miracle to happen. Lord, I ask that whatever the circumstance, whatever the situation, Lord, our first, our first thing, and Lisa and I are still believing for the miraculous to happen in her body. And, Lord, we just pray for the miraculous to happen there. And in the situations where these hands have been raised, Lord, I ask for the miraculous to happen. I ask for you to set people free. I ask for your healing. Lord, I ask for miraculous healing and reconciliation of relationships. God, I ask that you would just do the miraculous in every life that is here. And, Lord, we trust you. We know that you're not asking for formula, not looking for formulas, but you're asking for our faith. So we will trust in you. And Lord, we, we are going to, regardless of the circumstance and regardless of what we see with our eyes, we're going to take our cues from heaven and we're going to believe in you. Give us the power of your Holy Spirit to wield the fruit of the Spirit. God, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.